0: Welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community.
1: Hello and welcome to Polygamer Podcast, episode number 92 for Wednesday, August 14th, 2019. I'm your host, Ken Gagney. Ever since I ended the IndieCider podcast two years ago, I haven't gone around to playing many Steam games. And that also means that I don't get to play many visual novels. That's a genre that doesn't Often show up on consoles, at least not as often as it does on computers. But there was one visual novel game on Steam that recently caught my attention, and when I received a Steam code for it, I just had to play it because it's unlike anything I personally have encountered before and is a topic I have recently had personal interest in. I'm delighted today to be chatting with the game designer and author from the development group Transcenders Media, that being Bobby Augustine Sand. Hello, Bobby. Hi there. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if I recall, you're joining us all the way from Sweden. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, that's true. I'm sitting here in Malmö, Sweden.
1: Ah, lovely. Thank you. Well, I'm glad we navigated the time zone difference. I'm here in Boston. It's the beginning of my day, the end of yours. A perfect time to talk about Knife Sisters. your release this past April on Steam. Congratulations. Is this the first game from Transcenders Media?
0: Thank you. Yes, it is. It's the first game that we've published.
1: But not your first game. You've worked on other titles. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, I I did. And um, it was not uh, all the same kind of game as uh, Knife Sisters. Uh, I worked with a company called Osma Games. That was my own company as well with another person. And we did a lot of uh, gamification uh, projects. So it was more like uh, projects that someone wanted us to work on. And we did it uh, uh, to explore what games are and can be. Uh, we also did a poetry game called Words of Off.
1: So you're very familiar with the interplay of gaming and literacy and wordplay as what you would find in a visual novel, for example.
0: Yes, and I've also written for fiction novels, so I'm very much into writing.
1: Oh, ama- amazing. What kind of novels have you published?
0: It's um, mainly young adult novels, so it's sort of uh, there you can find like the connection to Knife Sisters because it's in the same realm as this game.
1: Okay. And are those novels something that we could find, for example, on Amazon.com?
0: It is, but they are in Swedish, so <laughs> it's only for Swedish readers.
1: Gotcha. Okay, thank you. So for those who don't know, what exactly is a visual novel? Because I, I have a rough idea of what it is, but other people might be thinking, well, aren't all novels visual?
0: <laughs> well, a visual novel is like a, a novel with uh, pictures that you can like follow the story, and you can see the environments and the characters, uh, so you don't have to make up in your own mind how everything looks. Instead, you can see on the screen what things look like. Also, visual novels have interactivity, which regular novels uh, don't.
1: That's true. So this is different from interactive fiction in that it has the visual component. It's not just text.
0: Exactly.
1: Similar to interactive fiction, is it written in something like Twine or in Form?
0: It could be. Uh, you can use different, like, uh, authoring tools. We're using something called ink made by Inkle Studios, who made also 80 Days and Heaven's Work
1: Excellent. Okay, I'll include a link to that in the show notes for those who want to check out that game engine. So, uh, for those who haven't played Knife Sisters yet, how would you describe this game?
0: Yeah, it's a very realistic, fictional game. So, it's like a drama uh young adult drama, I sometimes call it the college drama. Uh, It's uh, about people in their like twenties and it's about relationships, but it's also about BDSM and and occultism. So it has some pretty uncommon topics uh, when it comes to games.
1: Yeah, that's something that it presents to the player right at the very beginning. It says that this game is about uh, power exchange, consent, and then other topics come up like domination, manipulation, edge play. As you mm-hmm. said, this game is broadly about BDSM. And from what I've been able to understand, that acronym can mean a lot of different things. So how do you define BDSM?
0: Yeah, It's a very, very large umbrella term. And uh, like the abbreviation stands for bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, and sadism and masochism. So already there, there are lots of different things that can Uh, be in this uh, big uh, area. Uh, Also, it's often grouped together with fetish culture as well, so it's not really a part of it, but often it it still comes together with fetish culture as well. And all those things that I mentioned, those are different kinds of power plays uh, that often in BDSM it's in some kind of sexual setting, but for some people, There is no regular sex involved. Instead, the sexual tension is in the power play. But for some people, it's like mixed together with more like regular sex.
1: I have a very vanilla background when it comes to these things. And I think for many people, relationships are not so communicated in terms of power exchange. But for BDSM, this is where generally one person has a more dominant role and the other person has a more submissive role?
0: Yeah, during play, uh, because I I see BDSM as being some kind of play. That's also why I think it has something in common with games. But uh, yes, when you have like a BDSM uh, session, then you can either uh, be assigned one of those roles, like being dominant or submissive, or you can switch between those roles and they don't have to be like uh, static. It can be something that changes as well.
1: Are these roles that people just naturally gravitate to? Or is it? are they roles that, as you said, you can switch between and you're equally comfortable in either one?
0: I think that m- most people feel more comfortable in one of those roles. But for some people, it's not that way. But I guess that's Uh, sometimes you feel that one of those roles is more near to you, but that doesn't uh, uh, stop people from also using it to explore themselves and their their personalities. So it can also be like a challenge to to, uh, gravitate towards the role that you don't feel as comfortable in.
1: Uh, You also mentioned that these words can come up when playing with other people, and that is not a phrase or a context that i have encountered in too many other places uh the idea of play as opposed to sex or relationships or intimacy those terms i'm familiar with but playing with somebody not so much so what what does it mean to play with somebody or ha- or to have a play date
0: exactly in the bdsm uh, yeah world then playing means like it, practicing bdsm and uh, that's because it doesn't have to be about sex. So uh, therefore, we, we can't all just call it uh, having sex because uh, playing can be something else. And then I think playing is the best term for it because uh, just as like the more common forms of play that we talk about, uh, BDSM follow the same rules as that those kinds of plays. Uh, For example, it has like a playground. You have a setting and you have some kinds of rules that you have agreed upon following. Uh, It's something that's uh, not part of the ordinary world. It's something uh, you have decided is sort of not the regular world. It's like a play world. So I think playing is a very good term for what goes on there.
1: And how does that correlate with emotional intimacy. I'm I'm definitely showing my background here because I was raised in an environment where physical and emotional intimacy are inextricable. They're intertwined. But I'm getting the sense that it's possible to have the freedom to experience one without the other.
0: Mm, I would think so. And that also depends on what you mean with emotional intimacy, because it's something very intimate to like decide uh, that you will Uh, have this kind of uh, play with someone else. So like there's some kind of emotional intimacy, I think, in in that kind of play as well. But I guess it's not what most people put into the world uh, term emotional intimacy. But I think there is um, an emotional intimacy at play there as well. But I guess that's a bit of, uh, yeah thinking differently around those kind of
1: things. Sure, it might not be as vanilla, but it's still definitely there. Mm-hmm. It's great that you are here on this podcast to help me understand these terms. When I booted up this game, I encountered terms that are not in my experience mainstream, such as for example, BDSM, edge play, power exchange, and the game isn't necessarily a 101 on those terms. It doesn't necessarily explain what edge play is, for example. So is there some prerequisite background knowledge that a player should have coming into this game?
0: That's a very good question, which I hadn't thought about before. I very much just throw the player into this world, and I also like throw out those uh, terms there. Uh, I'm not sure that they really need to understand, but they need to be there because I want the player to know that this is going to be in this game, and if they don't know uh, those terms, they have maybe have to look them up before uh, because otherwise they won't know if they want to play this or not. But I'm not explaining them, that's true. and I I can't really uh, answer why I chose to do it that way, but I think it has a lot to do with me wanting the player to be... I don't think I need them to know anything about this before. But I want to warn them a bit in the beginning.
1: So. The player's avatar, Leo, is a twenty, a young 20-something non-binary character who's already familiar with these terms. It would be a very different experience if Leo was new to these terms and was experiencing them for the first time themselves. That would be a different story and maybe not the story you want to tell.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, I didn't think so much about because... When you start making a game or a story, uh, it doesn't really happen that you think, should I do it like this or in another way? Not in the beginning, because for me at least, it just manifests itself. So Leo was uh, already familiar with this, and I I went with that story.
1: So even though a player doesn't need to know these terms going into the game, you had this background knowledge already and I've acquired some of it a little bit on my own, but where do people generally encounter this subject matter and how do they learn about it, if not by playing your game or listening to this podcast?
0: Mm -hmm. I guess uh, a lot of people meet on online communities. Uh, There are always some different uh, communities, some that are like uh, for the whole world and some that are more like local. In Sweden, we have one called Dark Side. So I guess most people that are into BDSM in Sweden and fetish culture, they are members on this uh, online community. Uh, and there they have this calendar with uh, lots of events. And uh, so there are many meetups for people uh, that you, where you can meet people in real life as well. So I guess it's like a still like an underground community that you can find if you if you look for it
1: you mentioned the swedish website dark side is that similar to the website in this game called blackest
0: yeah it's very similar to that
1: but blackest itself is not a real website is it
0: no it's not because
1: <laughs> when i saw that i was like how do i sign up for that website and i started <laughs> googling for it and i think the closest thing i found me i don't know if it's specific to the united states is FetLife. life
0: Satellite is definitely the, the one that would be like the United States uh, version of uh, of uh, that kind of community. But it's very different from DarkSide though because DarkSide is very like mm. Satellite has a lot of in-your-face ads with uh, like sexual activities going on if you log into it and that's not the case in DarkSide so I think it's a little more welcoming to people who don't feel like yeah, that they want this uh, in-your-face uh, images uh, and so on. So they're a bit uh, different, but of course, the, it's similar also.
1: Yeah, I have not yet signed up for Fat Life myself, but that was sort of my impression as well. That someone who is just learning about this culture might feel a little overwhelmed if they were to sign up for a site like that. It might be a little bit too advanced for them. Is that?
0: Yeah. It's even a bit too advanced for me and I'm still like a part of this culture myself, uh, but I, I don't, just because I'm interested in, in uh, BDSM and uh, those kinds of uh, yeah, topics, it doesn't mean that I like that kind of explicit, yeah, those kinds of explicit imagery.
1: And that's one of the things I appreciate about Knife Sisters was that it did introduce the player to a lot of these concepts, and there is some visual imagery to associate with it. But there is never a point where it's graphic, or a point where at least I felt the need to avert my eyes. It was—I don't feel like it was shying away from the subject, but it was still tasteful about it.
0: It was very deliberate because, uh, as I said, I myself don't really like that kind of. uh, explicit imagery so i i wanted also to show that you can have an interest in this without it being very explicit and in your face
1: when playing knife sisters there are points where the player can choose what to do next or how to respond to certain situations is it possible to be vanilla and to not engage in that subject throughout the entire game
0: it's possible but it's not entirely Uh, obvious how to do it so sometimes you might like end up in those more bdsm heavy scenes without really maybe really wanting to but it's possible to like play vanilla almost all of the time but i don't tell the player how to do that so then it's more like they chose things that made them uh, go that way so I, i don't say choose this and then you will get the vanilla version
1: Right. One of the things that impressed me about this game was all the characters that Leo meets understands this subculture if not being a part of it themselves. And so there's never a need for Leo to justify themselves or to explain themselves. They can just engage in these activities and they understand each other. That is not my experience here in the United States. Is that just the way things are in Sweden? (laughs)
0: I I wish, no, (laughs) it's not really that way, but I think when you're sort of more part of that culture, and for me it's like a a mixture between like BDSM culture and the queer culture, and they are very interconnected here. Uh, Then I think that when you're like into uh, that culture and that uh, subgroup, then it becomes a bit like how it is in Life Sisters. So, uh, in a way, it's representative of how it is in that uh, subculture, but not in life society at large.
1: So, this is just one way that people tend to associate with people who are similar to them, whether it's BDSM or contra-dancing or cycling or any other activity or lifestyle that you
0: might choose. Yeah, in a way, I think so. But also, it was a choice, uh, too, that I wanted uh, to be. I never wanted uh, anyone in Knife Sisters to really be uh, questioned about their like, uh, kinks or uh, sexual identity or gender identity. It sort of happens at some points in the game, but uh, I wanted the, the norm in the game to be that everyone was accepted the way that they were.
1: Because, having not been a part of that subculture myself, or having joined a site like FetLife, I find that it's very difficult to find people who understand these things, and that there's often a lot of explanation, a lot of justification, a lot of defensiveness whenever the topic comes up.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe it is a bit different here. I'm not sure. Or maybe it's just that people don't talk much about it if they don't know that someone will accept it. It's very hard to say because, I mean, people find each other through maybe those online communities and those calendar events, and then they know that those people that they meet, they are already part of this, and then you can be free to talk about it. So it's a bit hard to say how what would happen if... Uh, you talk to, like, most anyone about it.
1: Do you find it common when people sign up for those websites that they use pseudonyms or aliases?
0: Yeah, it's very common. It's, uh, but many of those uh, online communities, they're also quite old. So I think uh, in those days when they started, it was common on every online community to use, like, a nickname. And they still do. But I also think it has, like, a it's also because people don't really want to be open.
1: And, and why is that? Why would somebody not want to be open about this?
0: It's still a stigma uh, to be associated with like BDSM and there are many like uh, th- people think that it's about violence in a way that I don't think it is, but uh, it can be scary for people who don't understand it. And therefore, the people who are associated with it can be a bit wary to to come out because maybe they will be perceived uh, as something they, that they think they are not.
1: And how has that affected you? Because you are very openly associated with the game Knife Sisters. I mean, you, you created it. And so how do people respond to you as a person, as somebody who made this game, if that's even come up?
0: Of course, uh, that's very interesting. In Sweden, I haven't met anything uh, like I haven't been um, questioned about that at all by uh, people and uh, yeah around me. So I guess it's accepted in that way. Um, I I didn't really think about that it would like affect me uh, until I started to try to. Market the game. And then I understood that it's not seen the same way in other cultures, maybe than the one I'm used to.
1: So, for example, there is recently a lot of outrage against an indie developer, Ublitz, for a decision they made with making their game. And most of that rage came across on Twitter. Very different scenario, but do people ever reach out to you on social media and, you know, less politely say, hey, I don't like your game. I don't think that kind of game should exist?
0: It hasn't really happened. I guess it could be because the game is still fairly unknown, and I think it mainly reaches people who are part of the queer or BDSM communities. So it hasn't really happened, but I was thinking a lot about it before the release, how I would like respond if that would happen.
1: And how would you respond?
0: I'm not sure, because I I don't think you really know until it happens, Uh, sort of like... uh, uh, what was what was discussed with Ublex as well? That you have to see, wait and see what happens, and then maybe you can respond to it in some way. Uh, I decided I wanted to like be open and stand uh, with my own name behind uh, the game. Uh, but of course, I could have chosen to do differently.
1: And you chose that because you feel this is something that people should be open about and not ashamed of.
0: Yes. Uh, definitely. I think uh, like the kind of shame uh, that you feel that you have to be close about it and uh, uh, it's sort of like reinforces that idea.
1: Do you think that there is more cultural awareness of these lifestyle choices thanks to the popularity of books and movies like Fifty Shades of Gray?
0: Yeah, I actually do. I, I haven't like seen or read. Uh, the book or the movie, but I think it still might have had some uh, like impact on how people view it, that it becomes so well-known and so uh, popular. Actually, still could be good in a way.
1: I haven't read that book or seen that movie either. I've heard that it's not the most accurate representation, but sometimes misinformation can be even better than no information, because it at least gets people talking.
0: Yeah, that's what I think too. But I, since I haven't like uh, read it or seen it, I can't really say so much about it. I I like thought that I would probably probably not like how DSM is represented here, so I chose not to to uh, like part in it. But uh, I still think it's very good that the discussion came up.
1: Yeah, I want to talk more about the way this game is perceived on a global scale. But also, I want to bounce back a little bit, talk more about the characters in the game and the content of the game. One subject that's very important in this game is consent. And you say right at the beginning of the game, right at the very top, that all power exchange must be negotiated. You can't take power from somebody without them giving it to you in order to be safe and consensual. Hmm. I love how transparent and communicative the main character, Leo, is... They're always saying, you know, is it okay that I'm about to do this? If uh, I need a very clear yes from you, that it's okay to proceed. If at any point it's not okay, I need you to let me know using this mechanism. Mm. And I think those are all wonderful examples of communication and consent. There's one character that Leo has the option to occasionally be with named Mo. And I found in my experience... Mo was not as communicative. Mo took a lot of initiative by, for example, coming into Leo's room and making physical overtures. And Leo was receptive to that, but they didn't really communicate about it beforehand. Are these different representations of like either consent or the lack of it?
0: Yeah, in a way. And I I think that people generally are not that good at consent. So I wanted to have like representations of both very like good uh, communications and also communication where it didn't really work that way because uh, I think most people are struggling with, with consent and uh, we don't really uh, talk so much about it. So it wouldn't be that real if there weren't characters that uh, didn't really understand the thing about consent, and it also makes the player think about it as well and reflect about those uh, uh, like
1: happenings. Yeah, it's very realistic, that's true, to have characters who are on different levels of consent. But at no point did I find that Mo was called out for that behavior. Is that something that was intentional?
0: I'm not sure about that. I thought about it. Um, I don't think I want the, because I, I want the player to be able to like project their own uh, exploration upon the characters here. And then if they chose to do something, uh, I don't want it to be like they would be called out for. It's, it's more like they have to explore for themselves and and see what's says good and not. Uh, so in a way, it was deliberate, but I didn't think so much about it.
1: All right, cool. Thank you. Another really fascinating character for me was Naomi, and there was one scene that I played through where it came up that Naomi had kids, be and or a kid, and she had thought, you know, she was in a marriage. This is what you do next. This is what society and the culture expects: is that you get married and have kids, and that didn't really work out for her. Do you think that if she had Known about these alternative lifestyles earlier, she might have chosen to be child-free?
0: She might have, um, because it was like she chose to have the child because it was expected of her. and uh, But also, in my mind, she still loves her daughter, and she doesn't regret having had her. So uh, it's very hard to say, but maybe she would have chosen to be child-free, because it didn't really come naturally for her.
1: In the playthrough that I experienced, Naomi was the only character who mentioned having kids. Is there compatibility between this BDSM subculture and raising a family? Do those two intersect?
0: I don't think there would be any problem in having children or raising a family and still be part of this community I guess it's more because the, the characters in the game are all in their 20s, uh, except for Naomi, who is a bit older. Uh, so I guess it more has to do with the age that the characters are in. And it would definitely be an interesting to top, interesting topic to look into more with like the ability to have a family and have this lifestyle. But it's not really part of this game, so... <laughs>
1: You know, that's a very good point. I thought that they might be compatible. And I was wondering why I wasn't seeing it in this game. But that's a very obvious answer is that they're all very young. And especially nowadays, people tend to have children when they're older, which these characters primarily are not yet.
0: No, it would be like, I guess, 15 years left before the characters in the game really start thinking about having family
1: sure and i have several friends who are in their early 40s and they're having their first children now so leo still has another 20 years
0: yeah but then leo is a character that i really doubt would have children but (laughs) let's see i thought but uh, maybe we won't but uh, uh that's a character i think will never have children
1: can you explain why
0: it's just the character you know it's very hard to know why you know something about your characters, but I don't think Leo, I see Leo as a person that is in a way they're a bit like occupied by themselves and not really, they are thinking a lot about how they are functioning and how everyone else is functioning and uh, puts a lot of uh, thoughts into that. And I'm not sure they would be interested in like raising a child.
1: But maybe, I don't know. That's a really interesting parallel because Leo is the character that I found to be most considerate of others when it comes to consent. And yet, since we get to see Leo's inner monologue, you're right that there is a lot of conflict there. Leo is trying to find their own way and their own identity. And it's hard to do those things when somebody else is dependent on you. And that's probably the difference in a relationship where you have to think about consent is that the other person is a, fully actualized individual they're not
0: dependent on you Mm, exactly i think that leo has sort of a hard time understanding other people but they are very eager to do uh, things in the right way and that's why they are so like want to have consent and want to do things right but and that comes from like a, a feeling that they are not really sure how other people really works so to make sure that they don't hurt anyone else. They want to like have this very open communication. Body.
1: It's also really interesting to hear your impression of Leo because Leo is definitely a character you created, but with so many different choices available to the player, the Leo that I experienced might be very different from the Leo somebody else experiences.
0: Yes, that's so true. And uh, I also made Leo very like open to interpretation. So uh, That's also a deliberate choice, because I think it's good that when you have this kind of main character, uh, Leo still has a lot of personality, but just as you say, you can shift that personality into different ways because you can make lots of choices and have Leo do different things. So you can project some of your own like feelings or uh, wants on them.
1: If you were a character in this game, which one would you be? Would you be Leo?
0: I'm not sure. I I have some similarities with Leo. So I guess it would be Leo, probably. Uh, Otherwise, I like... uh, Yeah. Maybe I'm like the Nicola character that isn't like a main character. Maybe I have something in common with that person as well.
1: Now, one word I didn't see come up in my playthrough was polyamory. But it seems to be something that's very compatible with this subculture and with some of these characters would you say that any of these characters identify as polyamorous
0: it actually is in the game but uh, you don't necessarily come by it so it depends a bit on how your playthrough was but it's definitely uh, naomi she she identifies as polyamorous and so does mo uh, so it's i think that leo does as well so It's uh, definitely a part of the lifestyle that the characters in the game are part of.
1: And could you briefly describe what polyamory is?
0: Uh, Polyamory means that you can uh, fall in love with uh, more than one uh, person. And you can also have relationships, uh, depending on what you decide with your uh, partner or partners, that you can have relationships with more than one person at uh, the same time.
1: And that's only possible through very transparent communications that all parties know what they're involved in and who is doing what. Is that correct?
0: Yes, that's true. And uh, just as PDSM, it forces people to be more communicative than uh, is often the case in more conventional relationships.
1: So polyamory is very different from cheating on somebody, which requires deceit. And it's also very different from polygamy, which involves marriage. Polyamory is just having multiple loving, open relationships.
0: Yeah. And there are different kinds as well, because some people, they are polyamorous, that they fall in love with several people. Some people just want to have sex with several people, but they're still only in love with one person. So there are different ways of doing it as well, and it's important to be open about what what you want and and uh, which way you want to express this way of living.
1: I've read some of a book called "Opening Up" about the different ways to be polyamorous, about how you can have a primary and multiple secondaries, or you know that's just one way to do it. And so you're right; it's all about communication and consent, as in all things. Yeah. (laughs) Another term that came up, especially when it comes to Naomi, and this is one I have no personal experience with other than just being aware that exists, is edge play, where Leo made clear that they are not okay with needles, but they are okay with knives and other sharp objects. And I am unsure how those can come into play sexually and still be safe, and also why a person might want to do so. Can you help me understand that?
0: Yeah, it's I guess that it's some kind of a fetishism actually that you like load some kind of objects or uh with a sexual tension, like a knife. And then you also might want to like really use it in a like sexual context. Of course it's very important then to be be safe and know something about what you're doing, and that goes for bondage as well because it can be really dangerous, of course. Uh, so, and edge play is the term to describe things that are like outside of the norm, even in BDSM. It's on the edge.
1: Yeah. Oh. oh okay. I. Oh. I didn't understand that connotation of the phrase. That's interesting. Uh, it still seems awfully dangerous to me, though.
0: Yeah, it can definitely be dangerous and there uh, should be like something you do without knowing something about it, I guess.
1: Okay, so maybe start with like plastic knives. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, why not?
1: <laughs> okay, good, good. That's a good place to start. Another really interesting character in this game is one of the characters around which the entire game revolves, and that's Dagger. Every single week in the game, culminates in a visit to Dagger's parlor where some sort of occult ritual occurs. And Dagger is talking to the knife sisters, which seem to be some sort of a spiritual entity that only Dagger can perceive. And I'm wondering, like everything else in the game seems pretty rooted in reality, in the physical world. Even if it is a subculture, it is still a culture that people can see and perceive. The occult seems perhaps related, but still different from sex and BDSM. Why did you choose to make this game about the intersection of those two instead of just one or the other?
0: Yeah, that's also a very good question. I think that actually the whole idea about the game came from me seeing, uh, like, a young crowd that were queer, that were into BDSM, and they were into the occult. So it was more like a persona, I saw, that really intrigued me. So... uh, I I was intrigued myself uh, to see what the intersection between those kinds of topics could be and why people would be interested in in uh, yeah the intersection there. So it was more like they came together and I explored them as such.
1: So for those who haven't played the game yet, do they get to find out who or what the Knife Sisters are, or is even that a surprise?
0: Uh, well. I'm not sure if you really do because I think you can interpret it. uh, Yeah, I think different people can interpret it a bit differently.
1: Because I find that Leo had multiple options as to how receptive they were to this. They could say like, no, I don't want to do this. Or they could wholeheartedly say, Dagger's great. I'll do anything Dagger says. And I, you know, on one hand... I wanted to see where this went, but on the other hand, I was afraid of putting Leo into a dangerous situation.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's sort of because, uh, as uh, in the beginning, it said that this game is about uh, uh, power and manipulation and things like that, and that is sort of the other way of exploring power in the game that doesn't have to do with sexual power, uh, but in other ways of uh, like using power. Uh, against other people and uh, I think that's sort of what Dagger is trying to do and it's up to the player how to respond to that so yeah
1: Oh, I hadn't thought of that this is just yet another form of power exchange that the players have to navigate
0: mm-hmm.
1: exactly. I like that okay and finally one more character I need to bring up one of my favorites Kylo Zen <laughs> yeah Kylo is some sort of a stuffed animal that Leo can talk to, and Kylo talks back, and he's aware that he's a stuffed animal. And I'm just wondering, is this some sort of a metaphor for Leo's inner monologue, or is Kylo actually some sort of an animatronic teddy dip bear that's able to
0: talk? Yeah, I think the player can decide uh, for themselves if it's uh, one or the other. But uh, I guess it was because it's a game where... Well, a lot of inner monologue on Leo's, Leo's behalf. And uh, it was good to be able to like project that on something, uh, some other character. And uh, somehow, Kylosan turned up. I don't really remember when and how, but somehow, d- during this design process, uh, they, they came and, uh, or he, it's actually uh, a guy. Uh, he turned up, and uh, it was just a good way of being able to let Leo, uh, like as the player, explore what's inside Leo's mind.
1: Can other characters talk to Kylo? Uh,
0: I don't think so.
1: <laughs> Why is Kylo's name so similar to a Star Wars character?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think, actually, I saw someone using that as a nickname somewhere, and I just liked the name so much that I stole it.
1: Did you know it came from Star Wars? Yeah, I <laughs> It's a great name. I love it. I was just curious. Yeah. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, I haven't had the opportunity to play a ton of visual novels. Let's say that Knife Sisters is my very first visual novel ever. This is my impression of the entire genre. How should this set my expectation for other visual novels? Like, What should I expect will be different if I were to play another game after this one?
0: often quite different from Knife Sisters, but there is one game that is more similar, and that's Lady Killer in a Bind by Christine Love, because I was very inspired by that game, so I have borrowed some of the mechanics from from it. And uh, what uh, Knife Sisters and Lady Killer in a Bind has in common is that there are lots and lots of choices. So you get to make choices often. In other visual novels, it's often less frequent that you make choices, but the choices uh, like branch the story more. In Knife Sisters, it always goes together again and you can go different uh, paths through the game, but you still go through the, down the same road. But in uh, many fiction novels, it's not that way at all. It branches out and then you have like completely different uh, ways of going through the game, and that makes them very replayable. So you can play it, maybe one playthrough takes an hour, but then, then you can play for, like, 15 hours more uh, and have completely different experiences. So it's uh, not... Uh, Life Sisters is not very representative for fiction novel in, uh, at large.
1: One game I was reminded of when playing Knife Sisters, and this is not a visual novel, was oxen free. because in Knife Sisters, when dialogue choices pop up, you can choose one or the other, or you can choose to not say anything and just sit there in silence. That's a great option, because in real life, you're not always being forced to say something. You just sit back and listen.
0: Yeah, and that's the big difference also. Yeah. Uh... And I was inspired both by Lady Kalina Bind here in Oxenfree because they had that mechanic. And I also wanted it as like maybe the most important mechanic of all uh, in the game. Because just as you say, to make the conversation flow, uh, you sometimes don't want to choose anything of what you can choose from. And you also, in many other vision novels and adventure games, you are forced to choose something, and uh, yeah, the choices pop up, and then to proceed, you have to choose something. But uh, in Knife uh, Sisters and in Oxenfree and also Lady Killer in Bind, you can go on anywhere.
1: Now, this game is primarily a visual novel. Would it also be able to be described as a dating simulator?
0: Yeah, it would, because you have the, the dates, you have the characters where you can choose your favorite that you can see every weekend if you want to, or you can uh, mix between the different characters that you have to choose from. So yes, it's a very different
1: as well. So we mentioned earlier that this game is perhaps more representative of culture in Sweden than it is in the United States. And it sounds like when you went to distribute the game, you were a bit surprised to encounter those cultural differences. How has the game's subject affected its distribution outside of Sweden or Europe?
0: Uh, a lot, I would say. I, I um, The first thing that happened was when we made the Kickstarter in no- November, we understood that we couldn't uh, market it on any social media platform because of the topic. That was the first thing we realized that, okay, this is happening. We can't uh, use any uh, social media ads for it. And then it just continued. So, uh, like, it's possible to publish a game like this on Steam, but they will hide it from most of the people on there. So it's very hard, actually.
1: So I understand that Steam has to put up a age gate to make sure that players are not minors when they're looking at this game. But it sounds like there are additional barriers that prevent it from being discovered in the first place?
0: Yeah, it's like not only the age gates that you have to be logged in and have like your age uh, on there. There's also like a checkbox. You have to uh, check that you are willing to see adult content. So like violent games are shown, but uh, games that contain sex are not
1: shown. That seems very odd to me that it would be easier to find a game where players are being eviscerated and torn apart with weapons. But a game that deals with a very real and safe subject like consent would be hidden away.
0: Yeah, I think it's a bit like it says something, it says so much about our culture and how we value things. And it's very interesting. So I'm trying to look at it as an arts project and just to see that, okay. This is an exploration in uh, how, we, how we value things. Uh, and I also think it's very strange.
1: Did you ever consider changing the game in order to make it more easily accessible or more easily distributed?
0: I thought a lot about that, especially when it came to Steam because I would have liked to have a game that people in their teens could actually at least see. Uh, that, that it was there, now they can't see it at all. And I, I still think my target group is from 16 and up. So I would have liked to have a, a version that they could actually <laughs> see. But w- the topics in the game are so in- like, entangled in the story, I decided it was not possible to take that away and still have a functioning game. Uh, so it wasn't possible to do that
1: yeah it seems to me that if this game were accessible to all ages based on what steam considers then it wouldn't be the same game anymore it wouldn't be knife Sisters. it would be something completely different
0: yeah and uh, then i think it's better to design one of those games uh, from the beginning because knife sisters is made to it's about those topics you can't take them away because it strips so much out of the game and it, Yeah, as you said, it's not my sisters anymore.
1: You said that your target audience is ages 16 and up. Is there a specific age group that you think this game would be best for?
0: Yes, I think it's uh, specifically for the age group that the characters are in, because I think that's when you really start to think about relationships and sex and how to live. Uh, But I also think it's... uh, Not only for that age group, but uh, I myself would have liked to have something like that when I was uh, around 16
1: to 18. I wish I had had a game like this when I was 16 to 21 because I'm discovering these topics now in my early 40s. And I feel like I'm now a beginner learning about this stuff. And everybody else who figured it out when they were in college, they're intermediate, advanced and expert. And so I have Mm -hmm. a lot of catching up to do. I wish I had started 20
0: years ago. Yeah, yeah. I think also that like the, I mean, the topics in knife in Sisters can be a bit of like towards the extreme side. But when you just think about the discussions about consent and relationships, that is for everyone. It's not just for people who are into BDSM.
1: Now, you mentioned some of the challenges in advertising this game's Kickstarter on social media. This is the third Kickstarter you've been involved in, the other two being in the years 2010 and 2015. So your crowdfunding experience spans almost an entire decade. How has crowdfunding changed in the last
0: nine years? I think it has changed a lot because in the beginning, uh, it was possible to come to Kickstarter with kind of a vague idea and uh, vague rewards and most people just thought it was great that people wanted to do projects um, and they supported those kind of vague projects and that, that's not the case anymore, it's more like a pre-sale platform so you have to be very very specific about what you're going to do and what they get and it's uh, much harder now to uh, get something to work on crowdfunding platform. That's one, I think, something that is a bit uh, vague or, or not uh, a product that you can actually get.
1: Yeah, I think crowdfunding has become some, so oversaturated that you have a lot more competition and a an idea isn't going to stand out next to another developer who has a nearly finished product.
0: Mm. And also, I think, like physical products like board games and uh, those games are the ones that sell uh, that do best on Kickstarter because it's so easy to see what you get and the digital game is harder because why would you pre why would you buy it on pre-sale? You you can buy it when it comes out and be safe. Uh, but in with the with the board games maybe the only chance you have to buy it is through the Kickstarter. And then it's a much more yeah uh, you're much more inclined to actually support it.
1: You have a great blog post on your website about all the things you learned from doing this Kickstarter and the things that you would have done differently. If you could give our listeners just one piece of advice on how to approach launching a Kickstarter and running it, what would that advice be?
0: Yeah, it would be to research a lot. And what I learned was that I had looked too much at successful Kickstarters and too too little on unsuccessful Kickstarters because uh, you... You learn more from those that didn't succeed than from the ones that did. So I would look at both successful but even more unsuccessful kickstarters and try to see why it didn't work.
1: So not just emulating other people's successes, but also learning from other people's mistakes that you don't repeat them. Yes. So you originally emailed me when your game came out back in April. And again, I apologize that took me so long to get back to you. But that means that your game has now been out for about four months What has reception to your game been like?
0: Yeah, it's been very good from the target group uh, that are part of the communities that the game is representing. Uh, From them, I've gotten a lot of, uh, finally, there's a game that I can see myself in and comments like that. And that's the target group I think I reached. I'm not sure it really reached a lot more than those people that found it through the Kickstarter and then uh, through uh, communities like that. Uh, So I haven't really. But on the other hand, there was quite a lot of Steam curators that uh, also played the game, and they also recommended it. So uh, I think they might have been part of that community. So that's good. it hasn't got a very wide reach, but it's popular with the persons that have found it.
1: Do you find that the game's subject matter makes it difficult for streamers to play on YouTube or Twitch?
0: I guess that some might uh, be hesitant to doing it. There are still people that have done it, so it depends upon how they yeah, how they judge it.
1: And is there a f- future for Knife Sisters? Like do you see this being updated or changed or evolving in any way, or is this product complete and you're moving on to your next one?
0: I thought uh, before releasing it, I was thinking a bit about uh, doing like updates and side stories, but then I think that's some kind of, like you don't want to uh, like lose the project or it's sometimes hard to finish things. Now, when I had some uh, uh, months to think about that, I think that it is done and that the game shouldn't be like, developed further more than maybe updating some functionality.
1: So in that case, what is next for Transcenders Media?
0: Yeah, it's uh, keeping on uh, exploring topics that can be like psychological and... Uh, um, Things that uh, are going on in people's mind, minds, but in the next game, I don't think that topic will be sex, um, both because I did it already and because I want to see what happens to like the reach and reception if I don't include that component. So it will be a psychological game, not about.
1: So while we're waiting for that game, if somebody likes Knife Sisters, what else should they be playing in the meantime while they're waiting for yours? You mentioned Lady Killer in a Bind. What else do you recommend?
0: Oh, yeah, I really loved Dream Daddy. So I guess some of my uh, the players who love Knife Sisters can also like that. Um, There are many visual novels with, uh, like, queer themes coming out. Um, Yeah, different uh, things that are, like, on the way. But uh, it's not that, that I have played myself. But I would have, like, a look into the visual novel community and see what's going on there because there are many interesting projects going on.
1: And where does one find the visual novel community? On Steam?
0: I guess that some are only on itch.io. Uh, many are th- are there, and some are on Steam.
1: Great. I'll include links to those in the show notes. Well, Bobby, we have discussed so much today about your game, about Kickstarter, about BDSM. There, I, honestly, I could talk to you about these subjects for hours. I wish we could go more in depth. But given that we're trying to keep to about an hour, is there anything else that you wish we had talked about?
0: That's always, always such a hard question. It's nothing that, I, that comes to my mind right now. So I guess we like exhausted the topic.
1: <laughs> as much as we can anyway. But I, again, I want to thank you so much. For some people, this is not an easy topic to broach. And I really appreciate you helping me and helping our listeners and helping Polygamer become more familiar with this really important topic. Thank you. Thank you. So for those who want to follow you online or find your game, where should they go?
0: Yeah, they can go to Transcenders on Twitter. And they can also, of course, go to Knife Sisters on Steam if they uh, log in and uh, check the right boxes. And we also have a page on itch.io, Transcenders.
1: Fantastic. I'll include links to all of those in the show notes found at polygamer.net. Bobby, again, thank you so much for your time.
0: This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net.